This is the Otaku Nate Show, episode 30. Guilty Crown. More like guilty crap. So everything that makes me whole, What is up, anime fans? Otaku Nate here with another installment of the Otaku Nate Show, the anime podcast where we talk about anime that we want to talk about. Joining me this week is Jordan. Hello, good to be back. And new to the show... Yes, it's Aristotle, and it's a pleasure, Nate, and we're definitely going to rock this episode two ways to crap, Phil. Yeah, as soon as I said that I was doing Guilty Crown, you were more than willing to hop on the show, and, well, yeah, that's where we are today. We're going to be talking about Guilty Crown. The show was released in 2011, not 2012, like I stupidly said in the last episode, I don't know how I got my dates mixed up, and ran for 22 episodes. The director of this was Tetsuro Araki whose name should be familiar to a lot of anime fans, as he was the director of Death Note, High School of the Dead, more recently he did the film Bubble, and he also did Cabaneri of the Iron Fortress, but why settle for an imitation when you can have the original? He directed everything related to Attack on Titan. As for who wrote the show, well, I'll save that for later. So, what is the show Guilty Crown about? Alright, so, before the events of the main story, on December 24, 2029, an identified apocalypse virus starts to plunge into Japan into a state of emergency and a chaos known as the Lost Christmas. An international organization known as the GHQ intervenes with martial law and restores order to Japan at the cost of its independence. Now, ten years later, a resistance organization known as Funeral Parlor wages a campaign against the GHQ to liberate Japan once more. Hope I got it right. You pretty much set up the premise, and uh, not that what's going on in the present day is important. Basically, it's about your typical anime protagonist named Shu, who somehow gets embroiled in this conflict and meets a self-insert character, I mean, the famous idol singer from Egoist named Inori, and they have semi-wacky adventures together. Does that sound right? Yeah, yeah, more or less. I mean, we'll get into the, um, the premise of the two later in the series, but please, do go on. Well, after the premise is over, we always ask, where did you first hear of Guilty Crown, and what were your initial impressions of it? Well, I'll start by saying that I actually saw Guilty Crown, believe it or not, through the Horrible Subs website as they created the subtitles for the premiere. And I was in, I was I was very interested in it since I'm a big fan of sci-fi. And believe it or not, this is actually the first time that I've actually experienced a multi-genred anime that is not only an action but also a future dystopian with a little bit of politics as well as a thriller. But little did I know what I was getting at because at first, at first I thought that the first, the first twelve episodes of it was out of this world, and of course I didn't know there was a second season going on until after episode ten. My first signings I thought was the graphics were immaculate, 
It was absolutely fantastic, fantastically done. I really felt that it was nice, exceptionally crafted on the music side, on the graphics side. The storytelling was immaculate. The, the characters displayed wasn't the, wasn't wasn't the best to uh, up to my part, but I was able to endure it from then to now. Episodes one to twelve, I thought was fantastic. From twelve, from thirteen to twenty-two, got a little dark to me, and I could handle it. But I felt I felt like something that had a major major change. And I knew, and I knew that they wanted to take a different angle to it. They wanted to present um, certain type of plot twists, as you may, or some of them there. And overall, I, I finished, like I said, I finished the anime from one to twenty-two. I thought that overall it was not the most perfect anime, in my opinion. But at the same time, I thought that it was entertaining enough to have a nice look see, and it actually remains as my top fifteen anime of all time from then to now. All right, interesting. Jordan, uh, what were your impressions, and where did you first hear of it? So I first heard of Guilty Crown by all the inevitable controversies that happened once it came out. People loved the show. People hated the show. Extremely polarizing. Uh, I put it on the back burner for a while. I remember my first initial watch through, wow, we're going 10 years back at this point. I just thought, hey, this is a pretty interesting anime. It's very similar to Code Geass. And then years later, I forgot everything about it until rewatching it. And now my impressions are, hey, it's Code Geass, but worse in every way. I, too, heard about Guilty Crown from all the buzz about it. People were talking about how awesome it looked, how great the fight scenes were, how uh, <clears throat> intelligent uh, <clears throat> its uh, <clears throat> story was. Uh, sorry, I had a bit of a throg in my throat. <laughs> um, we know, we know. But also, I heard a lot of controversy around it. People saying that they loved it, that it was their favorite anime, that it made them feel something, that it was emotional and all that stuff. Others said that it was the worst piece of crap they had ever seen in their lives. And if you know me, I'm a sucker for punishment. I've sat through the likes of M.D. Geist, Iken, Queen's Blade, Manyu Hikensho. I've sat through both Aldnoa Zero and Darling in the Sucks. I'm willing to endure anything. And when I watched Guilty Crown, and I've watched it two and a half times now, because I watched the first half and never came back to it. Second time around was the first time I watched it in full. And I thought, this is utter garbage. How could anyone ever like this show? It's derivative, it's dull, it's boring, and it only gets worse as it goes on. Third time around, I was willing to share the same opinion... But then I read something online, and we'll get to that later, that kind of made me change my mind a teensy bit, but I'm not going to lie to you and say that the show is good, because it's not. I think it's bad. Really bad. I'm kind of in the middle of, uh, in the middle of you guys. I think it's a show with a lot of potential, and it has a lot of good cinematography in a lot of scenes. It's just a shame to see it get absolutely obliterated after 12 episodes. You know, I, th I think I think I think I have a, a good agreement on both of you in there, but obviously there's always going to be two sides of a coin from no matter what anime you see. Sure, I have seen also Aldnoa Zero. I've seen Darling in the Frames, but some people suck it hard the same as another generic uh, Evangelion, which isn't true, but again, two different sides two different sides of a story, two different sides of a method. Dear, let's let's remind you guys that Production ID had their ups and downs with a lot of animes since Evangelion, and this was one of them, believe it or not. When I saw this, when I saw this anime, my expectations wasn't too high. I always watch anime with a fresh air of views, 
fresh, a fresh, fresher and open mind. And I don't demand anyone to nearly give me the wowzers, the yippies, the hoo-rah dings, and everything else from episode one all the way to the end. Even if it's a major slow burner that I have to check out. Heck, I, I even went through Monster, and I thought I thought that it was one of the slowest pieces of crap out there ever. And, and guess what? I realized that by watching all of that, I managed to see a hell of a lot of it. But I will stand here to defend to say, and if it's not, it's not really the most uber crap that you people speak of. As a matter of fact, it has some really interesting things, and it costs a little, and it costs us some good production. And bear, bear, bear in mind, this is this is this is production IG's Division Six we're talking about here. Maybe not even the full division of the entire people that did it, but a hell, but a hell of a lot of talent that has bestowed this anime from then to now. And mind you, gentlemen, if you haven't seen the rankings as of yet, this anime is still. From then to now, the top 20 anime of 2011, and I stand by the evidence. Now come test me, Nate. Well, I'm not going to oh test boy. you. I, I'm not going to debate you on this. I mean, like, I meant for this to just be like a simple roundtable discussion where we all defend our positions, and I'm not going to challenge you. Guilty Crown was popular. It did well in sales. Its ratings were good. People remember it. It's had a lasting impression, but I'm of the opinion that, you know, just because something is popular doesn't necessarily mean it's good. I mean, this thing aired, this thing aired on the acclaimed Noitanama block, and for those of you people who don't know, Noitanama is a programming block that airs on Fuji TV at late nights, basically meant to showcase sort of highbrow or original concept sort of anime to the masses. It's the home of Psychopaths, Honey and Clover, Eden of the East, the Tatami Galaxy, Princess Jellyfish, Kids on the Slope, Samurai Flamenco, Ranking of Kings, the new Urusei Yatsura is currently airing there, and it's going to be the home of the new Rurouni Kenshin anime. Make of that what yeah, you that will. No, that that that's what I'm hearing. As a matter of fact, I'm actually seeing the new Odyssey yesterday. That 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 one that one's pretty nicely done, despite the changes in there. And yes, I've heard about the the ruin of Kershaw come 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 up from there. But and look, don't be telling me that has has some phenomenal animes even before. And like many fans, many fans above it. You're right. This doesn't have to be popular to be famous to be ranked and have have a full top ten rankings all above in there. But there are several people that will still enjoy it no matter what. But again. Uh, I, I I wish I wish best knowing Tomlin in the future about this, but hey, we're here with Guilty Crown, and uh, let's begin. Well, as always, we start with the animation, and I think this is probably where we're all going to agree, regardless of its quality, Guilty Crown's a pretty damn good-looking show. I do have to agree in there. Cinematography-wise, the animation, the battle sequences, the, the form of the crystallizations... The um the entire background is is immensely all the explosions, the cinematic effects. I mean, we have some really 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 fantastic people who create who create the entire series. I mean, and bear in mind, you like I said, we have scriptwriters in here that that was part of Attack of Titan and Psychopath, so they know a thing or two when it comes to real real good real good animated quality. I mean, I mean, you you'll never you're never gonna have. Um, second best when it comes to genre of this type of dystopian sci-fi future with a little bit of action and thrillers and everything else in between now. Yeah, I will argue against Guilty Crown to a lot of degrees. The animation is not one of those things I'd argue with anyone about. It's very hard-pressed to believe the show came out in 2011. I thoroughly believe it looks better than 
a lot of animes coming out to this current year, and the way it blends CG into its animation is also something that was way ahead of its time. I honestly can't say I've seen an anime that has blended it so well. well yeah, I really agree. Well, IG kind of cut their teeth on blending CG with 2D animation. If you go back and watch Ghost in the Shell standalone complex, the CGI there for something that was made in like the early 2000s still looks really good. Oh yeah, and that's just a testament to their talent. The fact that they're able to make a show that's so visually pleasant still be just as noticeable 12 years later is just a testament to the talent and effort they put behind this animation. Of course, its overall aesthetic and its character designs were not just done by a team. They were handled by an illustrator, a famous Pixiv artist by the name of Red Juice. If you ever go and look up his works, they're very striking. He draws his characters in a semi-realistic looking way, but they have this very sort of vanillaware-esque look to them, namely with the color palette. A lot of pastels, a lot of washed out sort of colors, and yet it feels so unique to this show. Yeah, I tend to agree on that one there. I mean, Red, Red Juice has a very different style than normal artists would take to this. You're right, it has a combination of pastel slash vanilla slash um, unique design out of that one in there. And when's, uh, let me ask you again, when's the last time I've seen an artist try to pull that one out in, in, in a sci-fi show like this? For a while, I think it's had a lot more unique than more of the more more of the new shows that are coming out right now, with a lot less creativity, no less. And I, I feel that Red Juice has talent is basically beyond our times. We probably have seen this style maybe in past it, but not as but not but not as combined as revolutionary as this. I absolutely love his coloring. His coloring is one of the top notches in there. And if you've seen his books in there, you definitely know that this guy has incredible talent from A to Z. I mean, if you want to know what he's best known for nowadays, for all of you people who are fans of VTubers, he designed Iris from Hololive. Yes, that, that's basically one of his uh, tour, tour, tour de force right there. Although mm. I, I like her newer model better than her older one. I don't know, I like her older one better, but then again, like I said, that's just me. I have heard one person complain that the general aesthetic of guilty crown feels a bit on the incoherent side like i, I don't like i don't really know about that i mean could you be more specific about the incoherence well like you know you go from like bombed out shelters rusted old buildings etc to like futuristic sci-fi high-rise buildings and the two just sort of clash together like postmodernism at its worst so, I wouldn't say that aesthetic is incoherent. It's, uh, if you have any experience watching something in a cyberpunk setting or anything really dystopian, it honestly fits right in. There's always been a contrast between, you know, the highly polished, very, how should I say, pristine look to just the really rusted, gritty, underbelly type thing. I think it's just a byproduct of the setting itself. Of course, there are mecha in this show, for some reason, called Endlaves. Eh, I'm not really a fan of them. I like the blue ones that are used by GHQ because they're basically the Tachikoma from Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex, except they're robots. I mean, they're, they, are, they are used for, 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 for certain uses, obviously. I mean, this is basically 
your defense force that had to fight against the entire people who were affected by Lost Christmas. And without these people, we wouldn't, we, they wouldn't be able to take care of all that damage in there. I mean, if you use anything less than that type of technology, I'm guessing that country will be will be literally, literally destroyed under that virus or any anyone else who tries to invade Japan in that time. And don't get me wrong. I've seen a lot of I've seen a lot of countries try to evolve their military using more technological advances, as similar to Tachikomas, as similar to Enlaves, using battle suits and more and more energy uses for their attacks to advances to other countries and such. But when you think about it, I mean, it doesn't have to be both Eastwad meets Ghost of the Shell meets Formation Gun Hazard, for that matter. It, 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 even if it shows like a certain part, certain part of a um, military militaristic form there, then we'll actually see that it's not just machine guns battling and bombs and everything like that. That we're actually in the future that we're going through major phases just just, just for good old defense. And I mean, any any country any country would have to go through that 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 type of thing. But then again, this is Japan in 2029, so. You got you to gotta give them credit for credit is due. My main thing with the robots is if you're going to design them, at least make them look interesting. Like, these, these are some of just the most bog-standard robotic designs I've ever seen. If there's anything I could levy towards the art style, it would be these. It would be the uh, robots. The gyms from Gundam have more personality than the Endlaves. <laughs> yup. <laughs> And uh, the special mecha that Ayase gets, what, with the white one with its big floppy shoulders? Hate them. Absolutely hate them. I mean, you can't be perfect with all the stuff around there, Nate. I mean, I, I always tell people, look, if, if, if you have a critique with all this, this new stuff going around in there, feel either feel free to do better or accept what these people enjoy. I mean, sure, some of them do look artificial. They do look generic and cliched and all of that. And, 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 like, and, like, and, like, and like I said, like I say to people, this is this was the decision that was given to the production cast when they when they did this. I mean, they've got, believe it or not, this actual final version of what they did was not the actual end-all, be-all. They had to go through about over 100 drafts with blueprints just to make sure they got... Everyone, everyone's voice and guilty crowns and all of them makes down to the T, which I can probably I can probably understand in a more artistic view of this. But sure, if people have their ways, it would have been a lot more realistic, a lot more convincing with them in there. But then again, you can't have the Jin roll grunt grunts looking there with uh, with Gatling machine guns and steel automated red type weapons like it's an automatic futuristic DMZ now, can you? I mean, right. I get it, but at least still make them look good. More appealing. The most generic mecha you can think of looks better than the Endlaves. Like, they're just unremarkable. They're not well designed. Even the most basic Nightmare Frame from Code Geass looks better. And I can't even remember what the names of those suits are for crying out loud. I, I mean, if, if if it were me, I probably would change the Endlaves to something a lot more threatening. I mean, the Endlaves, I, I know they're... They're probably not not the best production creator over there. I probably will use the boomers from Bubblegum Crisis for that matter. If if, if not the not the not the new version, but the old ones that were, were a lot more threatening, a lot more um, vicious to people and whatnot, or, or even something of, of that other kind of there. If you really want to take it that far, but I don't know. I mean, I just accepted it as is, and I just really just wanted wanted to see how the story progressed with them in there. That's all. The note I just want to say about the mecha, though. I mean, they're. Aside from just being generic, they're way too spindly and skinny for my taste. I prefer my mecha extra chonky. 
thick uber missiles and all that lasers gibberish and that jazz well, well no like not not like being armed like rambo i mean more or less like just you know having big thick arms and legs like the fissilis from gundam 0083 look at something designed by kunio okawara you'll see where my taste in mecha lies yeah, I know about Kunio Okawara. He's a very, very talented artist. The, blockhead, I'm sure. the blockhead from uh, Dugrum. That's more my speed. Yeah, yeah. I know about the the, the block, blockhead from Dugrum. There's, yes, there's, there's nicely animated in there. I mean, sure. I mean, it's just, like I said, it's all about aesthetic and taste and whatnot there. But I don't like, I don't I don't really, really get to that, man. I mean,. I'm, I'm call me call me call me old fashioned, but I'd rather have good old good old Gundam Gun Hazard Temple once Mexican there and have have everybody have fun with them. The action scenes are of course very well animated, and really that's going to be the only thing you'll remember from this show. And the one thing everybody always says about Guilty Crown, it's got very nice action scenes, but you know action scenes can only carry a show so far, and we will discuss that once we get to the story. I mean, you're right. They, do, they definitely, they definitely hang, hang out, hang out for cliffhangers. They definitely hang out for a lot of things in there. But I will say this: the animation design for for some of those battle scenes there are are incredible. But just like you said, once we get to the story, then we'll then 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 we'll show then we'll show us what. So let's move on to the music. And as you mentioned earlier, Aristotle, this is a Hiroyuki Sawano soundtrack. I'm going to be honest. I'm not the biggest fan of Hiroyuki Sawano. Oh, really? Can, can you explain why? What, what we suggest as a soundtrack for this? Well, to me, in general, I just find that after a while, all of Hiroyuki Sawano's soundtracks just degenerate into a big old wall of noise. He's very enthusiastic about using distortion, like static, on his instrumental tracks. And he's all about focusing, building onto the big Sawano drop. He's not as nuanced as Kohei Tanaka. He's not as creative or imaginative as Yoko Kano. He's not as melodic as Yuki Kaijura. Nor is he as character-focused as the late Takanori Arasawa, who did the music for Digimon and Sailor Moon. I don't hate him. His stuff's just not my, ki- my cup of tea. My thing is, I think you're coming, or uh, talking about his work, strictly through his anime ventures only we have to keep in mind this man has done several games xenoblade chronicles x being personally when i was first exposed to his music in anime he's i wouldn't say he's a kajura level composer but when he hits he absolutely knocks it out of the park oh i love his vocal tracks he's great well even though yeah. yeah and that's the thing he's not good at doing background music that's my biggest complaint like can you name me a single hiroyuki sawano track that played in the background where two characters are just talking to each other no you always think of hiroyuki sawano as a guy who knows how to turn on the jets when it comes to action scenes well that's basically that's basically his entire genre as it is in there adding to adding to what jordan says to of a soundtrack i mean his, his, his battle, his battle themes uh, from Mountain Zero, from uh, Mr. Unicorn, Legend of Galactic Hero, Dinoya Tese, from Requeers. I mean, he's not the type to be the calm, perceptive type of them. I mean, his influences come from listening to Kano, listening to Joe Saishi and Daddy Elfman, as far as as far as the troops in there. And based on the awards that he's won thus far, he's, oh, believe it or not, 
DLCs also has his own group called Nax Vane, and he he's also the producer collaborator in there. He's also done a lot of releases of, of impeccable songs. And I mean, it's absolutely amazing how he has the type of talent. Sure, he's not the best at background songs in there, but but just like so it says, when you hear when you hear a good battalion theme in there that is just as deep and dope as two steps from hell type of orchestration, then yes, you will nod your head to it for days among days among days. And let me let me even add on, on top of the the opening themes to this one to this one as well. And he's also part of it in there. The opening themes by my dear, by Coeta, the anything by Egoist Departures, with a 70 year old Chelly doing the vocalist in there. I'm saying, I'm telling you, this BGM in there does not disappoint, no matter what you hit. Even if, even if it is the background music gets gets a little minor here and there, I still, I still got, it, I still got into it, and I thought it is possibly the top three to top five BGMs of all time, hands down. I would not say that for Guilty Crown, because as much as I love Sawano, Guilty Crown is arguably his weakest work he's ever done. You didn't like BIOS? Uh, I don't hate BIOS. I could say that much. Yeah, but... I, 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 well, to an extent, uh, BIOS wasn't like his, his, his strongest stuff, you know, but it, it, was, it, was, it was melodically entertaining, to say the least. By this, he did, this was not his A game. It most definitely was not. But there are some good, there are some very good songs in here. Especially the one where it does the infamous Sawano drop Insert badass character moment. I, oh, hell yeah. The only background track from this OST I could think of is the, the guy, is the one that has that opens with a guy going, yes, and then ending with him going, no. <laughs> yeah. So, congratulations, Hiroyuki Sawano. You made a track where the vocals of somebody talking were memorable. But in terms of, like, soundtrack to an action show... It's just not the soundtrack to my Hime. Okay, so on to voice acting. Guilty Crown has a few characters, so I'm just gonna go to the ones who were truly important. Our main hero, Shu, is voiced by... <sighs> Yuki Kaji. I don't think I need to say anything there. It's Yuki Kaji. If you have seen any popular anime within the last decade, chances are... It's had Yuki Kaji in it some way, somehow, playing either the main character or a major secondary character. He's Eren in Attack on Titan, Todoroki in My Hero Academia, Melodius in The Seven Deadly Sins, Kenma Kozume in Haikyuu, Issei Hyodo in High School DxD, and, of course, he's the voice of Bananya. And the list of his famous roles just goes on and on and on. Yeah, I definitely think he has a hell, hell, hell of a lot of good characters to play on the top of the notches of his belt and i still feel that sure so I'm, a lot of people may think that yuki kaji may not fit the role of shuo to some people but i thought i thought he's fine because i mean he's we're talking about a 17 year old kid invo involved in war in here and uh you really need someone to try to become the leader of the pack without being a total douchebag to everybody so I guess, I guess I guess Kaji gets the credit. Oh, trust me, I wish he was a douchebag. And not in the way he becomes later on. Oh, we'll get to that. <laughs> I, uh, I listen to most of my anime dubbed like a barbarian, so I don't have much to say on the Japanese side. Yeah. Ai Kayano plays Inori Yuzuriha. You may have known her as Menma in Anohana. Alice Zuberg in Sword Art Online Alicization. 
She is Kirika Akatsuki, which I just took the dive into. I am officially Symphogear pilled as of this recording, baby. And let me tell you, I get it. I am so excited to see what comes next. Um, in shows of lesser quality, she is Shiro in No Game No Life, Silphy in Mushoku Tensei, and the actual useless character in this series, she's Darkness in Konosuba. Well, hold up, hold up. Darkness is not useless. Is an avid Konosuba fan, I will defend her till the day I die. I'm sorry, but I would rather have Aqua. She, hey, at least Darkness could tank. She might not hit. But she will always take the hit for you, damn it. Oh, brother. Huh. Guy is voiced by Yuichi Nakamura. For all you people who are Shonen Jump fanboys, oh, this guy's been in a lot of big Shonen series. He is currently Gojo in Jujutsu Kaisen, Tsukasa in Dr. Stone, Shigure Grey Full Buster in Fairy Tail, and Tetsuro Kuro in Haikyuu. Mecha fans will know him as Alto Sautome in Macross Frontier, and Eo Fleming in Gundam Thunderbolt. Good old Thunderbolt. I love that series. Ayase is voiced by the ever-sweet Kana Hanazawa, famous for being Mayuri in Steins Gate, Shiro in Dead Man Wonderland, Akane Tsunemori in Psychopass, Kaede in Angel Beats, Nadako in the Monogatari series, and Hana in Prison School, if you want her at her most psychotic. Mm. Oh, I always love her in the most psychotic ways, man. Don't you dare hate on that one. She's fantastic when she's a psycho girl. Oh, I love her too. Tsugumi is voiced by Ayana Taketatsu. She's pretty famous for voice acting in Moe sort of shows, as she is Asuza in K-On, Nino Nakano in the Quintessential Quintuplets, Lifa in Sword Art Online, Koniko in High School DXD, Kotori Itsuka in Date Alive, and something that's on everyone's mind recently, she is Bambietta Basterbean in Bleach. She actually does a very good job in Bleach with, with Basterbean in there. Now for the villains, Makoto Waltz Sega is voiced by Nobutoshi Kana who was Guts in the 1997 Berserk series. You can hear him as Lancer in Fate Stay Night. He is Basaraneki in Macross 7, Ryuya in Air, and is the Japanese voice for Knuckles in Sonic the Hedgehog. No kidding, I didn't know that the, 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 she was there for the, uh, for the Japanese version of there. The main villain, Shichiro Kado, is voiced by Kazuhiko Inoue. And this guy has been around. For all you Shonen Jump fans, he is Kakashi in Naruto, Gildarts in Fairy Tail, Oboro in Gintama, and Inspector Shiratori in Detective Conan. You will also know him as Jared Mesa in Zeta Gundam, Nyanko Sensei in Natsume's Book of Friends. All you Shonen Eye fans will know him as Gunther von Christ in Kyokara Mao and Eiri Yuki in Gravitation. I will know him best as Dusty Attenborough from Legend of the Galactic Heroes. And finally, Daryl, the rival pilot to our main character, is played by Koki Uchiyama. We previously heard him as Seiya Kanie in Amagi Brilliant Park. 
You will also know him as Toma Shigaraki in My Hero Academia. I think his most popular role as of this recording is that he is the main character, Toge Inumaki, in Jujutsu Kaisen. He's also Rin Itoshi in Blue Lock. And for all you Gundam fans, he's the voice of Benajur Lynx in Gundam Unicorn. Now onto the dub, and I wrote nothing else down except that it's fine. I liked it. Yeah, that's pretty much all I can say about it. It's good. It's better than most things that came out at the time. You know, that's funny. I haven't tried the dub in there. I was basically stuck in both the uh, Japanese Japanese sub and the subtitles in there. But one of these days, I'll take care of the dub. Props to you guys to actually have listened to when I said it was good, though. Yeah, I think Austin Tyndall is good as Shu Oma. And I don't really give Michael Solusad enough credit. He was pretty good as Guy in this. A lot of Funimation regulars are in this one. Alexis Tipton plays in Nori. You'll also see Leah Clark in there. Monica Rial played Sugumi, and Jamie Markey comes in later on down the line. It's a good dub. And that's fine, because this is kind of the end of where I play good cop with Guilty Crown. Because from here on out, it's full-blown bad cop. Oh, really? No. With, with a basic cup. I, I, can, I can imagine, with the bath of pipes and the cufflinks. Here's my opening statement about Guilty Crown. When I first started watching it and I saw just how much it took from other series, I said that Guilty Crown is one big case of been there, done that. And the thing is, I'm not hating on it for it being derivative. Many anime borrow concepts and ideas from stuff that has come before it. I just reviewed Future Boy Conan, and you can see its DNA in many other shows. I would never ever knock One Piece for saying that it's derivative of Future Boy Conan. One Piece owes a lot to Future Boy Conan for its storytelling. The problem that I have is that it takes all of these ideas and does nothing new or original with them. It's a dozen elements that I've seen from other shows. Revolutionary Girl Utena with Shu's power of being able to pull things from peop out of people's chests. Yeah, we didn't mention this during the premise, but Shu, through a freak accident, because of course, is granted the power to pull weapons out of people's bodies, which are called voids. And these voids relate to their personalities somehow. And he does this just like how Utena pulls that sword out from Anthe's chest in Revolutionary Girl Utena. But it's not just Utna, you can also see elements from things like Gundam, a little bit of Eureka 7, there's some Macross in there too, what with Inori being an idol singer. But the show that it wants to be, above all else, is Code Geass. And that's the thing, it rips so much from Code Geass down to just, the first episode is literally beat for beat just Code Geass. Right down to our hero getting his special powers and utilizing a mysterious girl to his advantage. Exactly, and I don't mind if a show borrows concepts from other shows, because, you know, that's the whole thing about creating something. It has to drive from somewhere. My issue is when you handle it insurmountably worse than what you were inspired from. And people immediately caught on that this thing was a Geass knockoff. Japan's being occupied by an invading imperial force. It takes place in a high school setting with a military backdrop. 
we've got a generic dark-haired main character, although that's being a little bit cruel to Lelouch, as Lelouch was a force of personality. He meets a mysterious girl who gives him special powers, although Inori doesn't grant him his powers, he just gets them in an accident. There's an underground resistance group trying to overthrow GHQ, conspiracies surrounding the government and the lost Christmas incident, there's a guy in there with a funky eye, and there's Mecha that don't really tie into the plot just like Code Geass. You get the idea. Yeah, I definitely get the idea. And I was waiting until you were done so I can stand, stand, up, stand up and raise my defense attorney evidence up to hand. I agree with some of the, the, the premises that you said before. It's just like every other anime. It takes from other animes before then, as well as, as, well as other animes that had borrowed from that one to, to create somewhat something new over there. Sure, there's no originality to the plot, but if I see something entirely different that I, that I would rather see, rather just have another home invasion done or have something drop from the sky a la Robotech, or have the mechs coming down in there and we fight and we fight like robots, but then end like GoBots in the end of it, then I might give any of the other anime a chance. And like I said before, I will give every anime at least several episodes an open mind to see exactly how it develops. I mean, the, let me let me let me remind you the first half of from episodes one to twelve. Sure, some people might say it was just a Kogias prequel sequel rendition of there or a run through or what have you. Fine. You can take that with a grain of salt, however you feel. But seeing how Shu received that power from an accident was something that I was really, I was really curious about. I wanted to know how much they would extend that specific idea, and it was not, it was not just taking it, taking it out of Inori. You know, he was able, to, he was, he was able to take it out of Arisa, Minato, almost, almost the entire um, school council and everything. Not to mention his father was the one who. Try to give him the, the envelope over there, and, he, and and this is and this is how he had to defend with with everyone else. Some of the storyline, as we've seen from one to twelve and thirty to twenty two, had plot holes, tons of it. And the thing was, is that I just wanted to know how every type of idea that they would bring out would stick. Some of them would to try to make up with try to make up with the lack of other ideas that were that were fulfilling. And some of them, like the second half, which if need to I can explain explain later when Nate Nate gets out the the pipes, the Molotovs, and the bazookas out of his metal slug collection to talk about why why, why part one was was always better than part two. Over overall the first half was a masterpiece. I mean and, and if you wanna if you want if you want to talk about Characters, which I'll, I'll talk about later, I think, in my opinion, Shu, out of all the characters, was the most developed character out of all of them. Very stereotypical, and yet he goes out of the way to all the all, all the hardships that was beset by him, gets treated like a local low lows of the low, but yet he's quite reliable to endure that type of mental and, and physical fortitude, and... I guess not many characters you've seen that could go to done much and say, "Hey, I've gone, I've gone through all this much in there, and I'm still alive at the end of 22 episodes." Someone hasn't read Berserk. Well, I have my own two cents about that. All right, to play devil's advocate, here's the neutral party. You raise a good point about how it's trying to be Code Geass and kind of ends up as being lesser than. And I was fully ready to blame the writers for this, and the directors, and this is sort of what I've been building to through this whole show. Now, I tried to find interviews with the cast and or staff to see what went wrong, 
the best I could come up with was an interview that came with the special edition box set with Red Juice about his design philosophy. I wish I wrote some of the notes down so that I could talk more about it, but I couldn't find any interviews with Tetsuo Rocky or the directors, but I did find an interview on Anime News Network from New York Comic Con with the producers of the show. And what did they say? Enlighten me. Well, they talked about how when they created Guilty Crown, they wanted to air it as part of the Noitanama block, because around this time, Noitanama's time slot expanded from a half hour to a full hour, meaning that they could fit two shows in. Now, George Wada said that they wanted to create a series that could appeal to a younger audience. Quote, With Ghost in the Shell, the main audience is 20s to 30s. But with Guilty Crown, we're going for a younger audience. I skimmed through the interview, and the interviewer points out that people noticed a lot of similarities between this and Code Geass. And when the interviewer presses them on this, Koji Yamamoto, one of the producers for Fuji TV, says, and I quote, We're not trying to be like Geass. We didn't plan to take anything from it for this show. Actually, as for the setting, Code Geass is quite apart from, way beyond modern Japan. But for Guilty Crown, the situation is more natural, so we're not trying to do a similar plot. Of course there are some similarities. <laughs> Bullshit! <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, that's pretty much the point I was going to make. It's like, it doesn't matter if they, if it was their intention or not, they... They did. The evidence is right there. Well, to go even further, my point is, beyond simple aesthetics, if you weren't trying to be Code Geass, why did you hire the writing team of Code Geass? Because the writing team on Guilty Crown is the duo of Hiroyuki Yoshino and Ichiro Okuchi. Now, granted, it's a little different. Okuchi was the head writer on Code Geass. Yoshino was his assistant. This time, Yoshino is in the driver's seat with Okuchi riding shotgun. Both men have had their hits and misses. Yoshino is responsible for one of my absolute favorites from when I was younger as a fan, My Hime, a show that I really want to talk about and I've had on the brain lately as... I think it's one of the most important anime of the 2000s, at least in terms of the growth of the Magical Girl genre. He was also the head writer on Macross Frontier, which was pretty good. He was also the lead writer on Izetta the Last Witch, which I've heard mixed things about, but I'm willing to give a shot. Uh, did any of you watch Izetta the Last Witch? I actually watched all those animes that you mentioned. I've seen my heap, and I can agree that it was a it was a pinnacle of the two thousands of the magical girl genre, and it is absolutely amazing with the writing that he has done over there. Not only my heap, but also my ultimate, which is part of the company of Sunrise, no less. With all, all of those Gunu series as well, and, and sure, the writing was not the most plausible. Within a, within the specific series, but I can, like I said, I can handle a lot of mishaps in there. But I, from again one to twelve with those fantastic stuffs in there, fine. And I'll even defend that. Yes, I have have watched Berserk in there and their old times there, and especially it doesn't have to be Berserk type of writing or any type of writing 
past that type of fantasy or even the sci-fi genre, but at least it's, to, to me is 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 entertaining enough just for a good look. See, I wish that a lot of writers, especially converting from one style to the next, would literally do their homework and keep an eye on what whatever whatever other authors are actually authors or other writers have been doing thus far. Because if you get an anime like this, especially from now, when you have these all these subplots and all these plots going around there, trust me, your career will be dumped on the line come this Christmas bonus. And you're, no, you're never going to write to this company ever again if, this, if the ratings don't gel. At least that's what I've, I've heard about with all these writers from Japan who do right now. And that's probably the reason why a lot of these writers are suffering because of good ideas gone to crap. And that's my thing. You called the first half of this show a masterpiece earlier, but if it has this many bona fide flaws and just it's highly derivative of an anime that came before it, it's a you can't call this a masterpiece. Well, I'll defend and say the first half is very good. A masterpiece it is not. I would also like to point out that in addition to doing some good original stuff, he also wrote the adaptations for Strike the Blood, A Certain Scientific Index, Axel World, and he was also the creator of... Seikano Quasar. Hmm. Well, what? What do you have it about Seikano Quasar? As if I haven't heard, heard enough of it. It's too much. I... I have a high tolerance for fan service, but Seikon no Quasar is just <sighs> So I mean I mean I mean you expected to roll the same transition as XL Saga would do? Or would you really want to out of random just to make that enemy better? I mean Quasar's his own level of, of fan service right there, so I don't I mean or would you really wanna staple it down to make it another Kilia Alert Zvai type of genre for that for, for that matter? No, I'd want them to pull it and make something good. As for the other writer, Ichiro Okuchi, I mentioned he was the main writer on Code Geass. He was also responsible for the Golden Age movies of Berserk. He was head writer on Cabinary of the Iron Fortress. And he also did the adaptations of Angelic Lair, Planetus, Devilman Crybaby, Azumanga Dayo... And most recently, he did Lupin the Third Part 5 and Lupin Zero, Skate the Infinity, and currently, he's writer on Gundam the Witch from Mercury. Oh boy. Wow. That's the, okay, that's the reason why I haven't even started with the Witch from Mercury. That's the reason I'm, 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 avoiding, I'm avoiding that one for, for, for obvious reasons. But the other animes I've seen thus far, I haven't done the, the Lupin, I haven't done the Lupin yet because I have a lot on my plate to watch thus far, but... That was from Mercury. I'm hearing some, uh, without without spoiling it, I'm hearing some missed things about it. Despite the fact that a lot of people, similar to Guilty Crown, is it could be could be hit or miss if if it's not done right at the end of the twelve episodes. Yeah, I'm worried that like so many other Sunrise anime, the second half is going to just let me down. Yeah, like 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 the first four to five episodes that I just saw with the Wish from Mercury, it's gonna be okay. But if I see that timer that says you have sixty seconds to get out of base, or or base will explode, yeah, that's my time for me to say zoop, cutoff time. I'm just worried that it's gonna open with a time skip, and I just go, and there it goes. But we're off track. The thing is, Yoshino and Akuchi are talented writers. But they kind of need room to breathe and let their ideas gestate. 
And it seems to me like they were under very heavy mandates from the producers. I'm just picturing yeah. them in a meeting. They're all excited. They're going to get to work on the Noitanama block, a block home to many critically acclaimed anime. And as soon as they walk in, Production IG and Tetsuo Araki says, We want you to make a show just like Code Geass. And their heads just tilt downward and they say, Oh. I mean, uh, bear in mind, compared to those times to now, nothing has changed. I mean, they have such fantastic ideas, especially to to the me- to the Mecha Squad and the sci-fi genre like this. I may have exaggerated with respect to what Jordan said to me about me, me having this the first piece of the masterpiece, and they have a lot of plot holes in one in there. I will I will not retract the con- the comments that I've done there, nor contradict them. But I will say this: the conditions that all these writers have gone in Japan are far and new, and and they're not paid as much as you think. And that's the reason why all these ideas are coming out within, within at least two weeks to three weeks of deadlines just to get everything out of there. And I really, and I, f- I feel for them. I feel them very, very much so. Last year's Comic-Con, I talked to, one, I talked to an assistant, one of them, and they said that the conditions that they have in there isn't the, most, isn't the most kosher, and the deadlines are very, very strict. And they have to keep pumping out ideas as if, as if, the, as if the lives depended on it. Especially with those studios, just as good as Sunrise, just as good as Production IG, and every and everyone else on on, t- on top of that. I mean, given given extra time, they would have good idealistic tra- transitions to make the the potholes less severe and hurt this anime and many others the same way. But this is the aspect of reality of it is. I mean, out of out of out of all the characters that we've seen thus far in there, only a few of them are. Strictly, strictly developed in there, and I'll, if you really want to get to the touchy feely subject, mate, about the character distinction and development and whatnot, I'll be more than happy to go 12 rounds with you. Well, the thing is, and we'll get to the characters, but part of the reason why I feel the producers had such a heavy hand in this is Guilty Crown seems like it's trying to be everything to everybody. Like, the producers wanted it this way. You know, it's a post-apocalyptic story involving a pandemic that is set in this futuristic, dystopian, cyberpunk sort of setting. And it's set in a high school that's got a little comedy in there. And, you know, let's give our character this love quadrilateral where he's surrounded by three girls that want to ride his dick. And let's have big, epic sword fights like the Fate series, even though this came out the year before Fate Zero. And, you know, let's throw in some mecha battles because, you know, robots are cool. And you know what, let's have idol singers in there like Macross, and it just keeps adding and adding and adding until it's bloated beyond all recognition. Oh, say, and to kind of just build off that point, I, like, I understand the creators and the writers might have been under a very strict deadline, but the thing is, at the end of the day, your average consumer is not going to care because they care about the end results. And unfortunately, even though it was by the circumstances they were dealt, they still did not stick the landing on a lot of this stuff. And your average fan, that's all they're going to be looking at. To steal a bit from Kim Justice, a show like Black Lagoon, Violet Evergarden, and Future Boy Conan, it's a New Jersey classic. A Taylor ham egg and cheese sandwich on a Kaiser roll with ketchup. Five unique flavors coming together to create one of the best sandwiches in the tri-state area. Now, Guilty Crown is taking that same sandwich and topping it with lettuce, onions, tomato, bacon, 
pepperoni, salami, mayonnaise, coleslaw, raisins, black olives, peanut butter, jelly, and Frank's red hot sauce. Oh, that's that's natural overkill. That's overkill. Minus <laughs> minus, minus the chef Boyardee um pasta with it with Frank's red sauce. That's natural overkill, but I get it. The texture is awful. Whatever original flavor is gone, and worst of all, it tastes like crap. And the whole thing just feels so uninspired. Like, this was clearly done by a staff who were on autopilot. And I think a big problem as to why... I can't say that even the first half of Guilty Crown is good. It's just that the characters are so unlikable. I mean, the overall cast from parts one and two, a lot of the casts are so unlikable. Let me let me get to the second half of this one. The second, I mean, I, look, it was basically the second half of it was just... Half, half of it was totally out of place, and half of the ideas from the plot to the unsavory characters made the entire thing totally, totally, totally unnecessary. Sure. Again, it's not the entire end-all, be-all, and it, it was not given the most baddest rating there. The writing was convoluted with distractions and unnecessary twists and turns. Too many of them to save them. Even Shu himself was manipulated by almost everybody, strictly for his power. But it doesn't impact the other characters as well. If I were, if, if I were to eliminate the characters altogether, and if I were to drop it down to about at least five or six, I would leave Shu, Inori, Mana, Aisa, and Guy. The rest of them can go to hell. Seriously. Uh, you see, my list would be a lot shorter than that. I would say keep Guy and Dan Eagleman, and then tell all the characters to go screw themselves, because this is one of the worst casts I have ever seen in a show. And it all starts with Shu. And I just put down for him, generic anime protagonist. Yeah, some of them will say it's very generic of him to do so. But I feel that his, his real emotions is just way underwhelming than, than all the other emotions in any all the anime characters thus far. He's a boy suffering from social anxiety, and they demonstrate it in a very different way. His character only changes all the way to the end, believing different things as being also almost completely different from an entirely different person than what he was. If I were to pick two characters out of there that got closer, it would be Inori and Mana. Their developments, which was never even grown, and it rifles has tons of chances to be making some of an opportunity for it to be more important. If you take these characters and develop them with Shu to be even more, then they would be a hell of a lot more, a lot, have a lot more important than a lot more can for other people to see, but it was not meant to be. I mean, sure, I could probably put Guy in there, have everyone pull a World Rumble Aztec or Elimination Chamber, tap us on the sea, have it survive with the Fizz, and say, hey, shoot, you want to come by when you're done? Oh, sure, Guy, let's go by, let's have another lesson. And make it simple like that, but I don't know. I mean, I felt like someone was really, really off. Especially how he turned to be to be that that the epically dark shoe in there for, uh, from, what is it, episode 16 and 17, where... Most of where most of the vaccines and the rashes were about to be low, and he shows an entire different side of himself, in which in the everyone else decided to take a different side of himself because of his his attitude. But I mean, it's 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 just it's just sad because everyone else was a total douchebags, and then, and he feeds off this one and that one, and, and 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 this is how this is how he's going to be for the rest of the anime. I say, you know, I have some for the rest, or at least you 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 try. I was gonna say, you see, it's just unfortunately the show's biggest pitfall with his characters is that its characters serve what the plot needs 
instead of the plot serving what the characters need. Things happen to the characters rather than the characters making things happen. Yeah, it's like, it, it's like it's like an entire reverse motion just set into itself, and it doesn't transition the way how we want or expect them to be. And I just like like around fifty episode fifteen and sixteen, I felt that something was off. And I just I'll just continue it anyway. But uh, like I said, if it were me, I, I would have I would have some of the characters on the chopping board immediately. Like, get out of here, you're fired. The problem also is that yeah, Shu says that he suffers from social anxiety. And we later learn that he was involved with the Lost Christmas incident. But I don't care about him. He is so boring. He is all of the personality of a doorknob. Yeah, every, everyone thinks that he has the social ability of a doorknob. Even me. I think I, I, I really wanted him to, to at least man up in there. Even if we show a little bit of the past of him as part as part of the Lost Christmas and it tasted. Some people obviously don't care about it. But I think I thought it was. I thought it was a nice touch because I want to really know about why why he suffered from that and not then and there. Sure, some people would grow from their social anxiety one way or another, not be shy, not be utterly manipulated by people. But uh, I guess the reason that was able to invoke this is because it's universal and it's real. People wanted the paragons of justice slash companionship so that. Many other enemies portray him as the justice people like Kokias, Gurren Lagan, Nadesco, Ovaltus 5, Golan, Eureka 7, etc., etc. I mean, real people, if you were to compare this to Shu, are indeed cruel and selfish and will manipulate others just to better their way. And often, too, too much people who really do care about others only value for what they could reap out of them and nothing else. But not everyone. But obviously, that's just the harsh reality of what we live in. The independent characters in this anime, not just the bad ones. Are just are not, they're not bad characters at all. They're just bad people. Ironically, that's why I find it the most interesting out of everything. Everything else in the anime as well. I mean, the writing the the writing was just trashy enough to let the characters do whatever the hell they want. But I feel like the entire transition was just majorly off and just needed some extra work. Maybe maybe another six months before it just came came up in the shelves and whatnot. I get the feeling that all the development came out of what the producer and Araki wanted rather than the choice. Because Yoshino, I saw an interview with him where he was talking about writing Macross Frontier. And he had to talk about fighting tooth and nail with Kawamori in order to truly achieve his vision. In here, it felt like he didn't have a choice. He was forced to write all of these changes. Same goes with Akuchi. It seems to me like the writing staff, when it came to the characters, was just absolutely miserable. And, like, we just don't have any reason to care about Shu. And his development in the second half makes absolutely no sense and is one of the most forced bits of character development I've seen. And we'll probably talk about the second half when we get to the story. But I, I also just want to talk about Inori as well, because she is... Let me put it this way. I've sort of developed my own little hierarchy of useless characters in anime, and I'm trying to workshop this. There's the characters who are literally useless, as in, they contribute nothing to the story, they don't have any major development, they kind of grate on the viewer's nerves, and ultimately you wonder what their purpose of their existence is. Then, there are the sort of characters who are narratively useless. As in, their uselessness is played up by the story. I mentioned Konosuba earlier. All the characters in that show are useless, just in different ways, but their uselessness is what endears you to them. It's charming. 
The third kind of uselessness is the happy-to-see-you sort of useless, where a character may not serve too many purposes in driving the story or developing any sort of characters, but every time they're on screen, you're always happy to see them. You know, they may not be on screen for long, and they may not be all that important in the grand scheme of things, but they make you happy when you see them. Inori falls into the truly useless category. She is merely a self-insert character for an idol singer and serves no real purpose in the show's narrative other than just to wear sexy outfits and be Shu's wish-fulfillment love interest. You know, if I may add a little bit more on that one, if I were to place Inori as part of the specific role in this anime right now, I would put her in the first half and then have her dead in episode 13. Because I'm, I, I, I wouldn't see her any other use. I would rather have either Mana or even Arisa take her place and do something, and do something, do something with Sue to either enhance his voice skills or something like that. Because I felt that besides her being being a show off, I felt I felt that it was just absolutely a waste of time on a, on a serious on a serious tip. I really thought that I really had her. Skills of drawing, drawing out the void, thanks to Sue and all of that. But after that, get out of here. Your skills is done. Bang oh, my, out. Game my thing with Inori is you could completely take her out the story, and it probably wouldn't affect it too much. You could take Sue out too, and it also <laughs> wouldn't change much. Yeah, yeah, very true. These two have no chemistry together, as far as their romance goes. Dragon Odd yeah. of the Resonance is one of the most incompetent anime I have ever seen from a writing perspective. Made up by a staff that was clearly making up plot twists and characters' development on the fly. And the main relationship between our main protagonist, Jin, and his wish-fulfillment love interest, Toa, is pretty forced... But they kind of have a reason. They complement each other nicely. We actually have a reason for Jin being socially awkward. He witnessed his parents die before his very eyes. And that's established right from the get-go in the show. Toa is there to comfort him. And, you know, the relationship is rather haphazardly written. But there's something there. But you know that the relationship between Shu and Inori is poorly written when I am comparing you to Dragonaut, and Dragonaut is winning! I mean, it's just an entirely different relationship between those, those two and Inari and Shu. I mean, the chemistry with Inari and Shu obviously just, just won't fade in there. And honest, honestly, I wouldn't mind if, if the show went on without Shu and Inari. That means someone else... That means someone else... It's going to have to be the king of Guilty Crown at the end of the series and really nip it in the bud and have some of some of their some of the limbs amputated in the meantime, which that might that that, that might have to be the case if you if you pay attention to the last two two episodes of 21 and 22. But I mean, again, I mean, I, I feel I feel I feel like every, all the massive ideas that we had in there ends with the with the rush ending. And that right there is the reason why I felt that. The rating, the rating of this anime isn't as high as it should be. I mean, you you have all these ideas come in the first half, and in the second half, it gets even worse. It just jumbles all the way to snowballing to the entire last two episodes as guy, guy, and Shu fight each other while the rest of resistance fight everyone else. I wanted to see how how it would finish. I thought it would come up with at least episode twenty three to finish it all, to have a possible something would happen, but no. I just felt like it was just completely, and, and I really hated that ending. 
For no, well, I'm not going to spoil it if you already saw it. Again, as much as I love the first half, the cracks started to show immediately after that first half. It wasn't just the rushed ending. It wasn't the last two episodes. It was, and when we get to the story part, I'll cover it, but there's a certain event that happened in episode 12 that came literally out of nowhere and just made me roll my eyes. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about this, the whole story. And it's not like any of the other characters are better than R2. I mean, I guess, I guess one that had potential, and keyword there is had, was Ayase, the female mecha pilot who gets around in a wheelchair. And honestly, Ayase is a good idea in concept, because you don't see too many mecha pilots who have physical disabilities. The only other one I can think of with a mecha pilot who had a physical impairment was Kelly Lazner from Gundam 0083, who had to reconfigure his mobile suit cockpit after having one of his arms amputated. Ayase is a paraplegic. She can't use her legs. So, but she has a use in that she can pilot a robot because the robots in this series don't require you getting inside a physical cockpit. You sit inside a neuro chamber and you connect your conscious to the robot itself. And honestly, I don't think any other mecha anime did that prior to that point. Maybe Ghost in the Shell, but I could be wrong, and that's not really a mecha anime in the grand scheme of things. And honestly, I think it's great with Ayase that they don't do anything interesting or fun with her at all. Yes, yeah, yeah, being in paraplegic there is very, very hard to do a lot of things, especially when there's mecha anime around there. And you're right, it's, it's best as best as the keeper as is and not do anything not as totally attra- attractive with her because it will just not gonna even change the story on whatsoever. It's just gonna make it even worse as is. I haven't seen any changes with the sci-fi to have any more paraplegic there. And to be told, we haven't seen any other paraplegic past so I I see them like this. Ghost in the Shell doesn't have that 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 type that type of situation in there, despite the fact that it's being a sci-fi. I, I say let I let I say be as is, and we'll let everyone all suffer the same way. No, I agree. I like Ayase as a character. I honestly don't think they need to do too much with her, because the concept of a girl in a wheelchair who can't walk being able to pilot a robot's interesting enough as it is. And they do kind of touch upon that in the story in a pretty, honestly, good way. Ayase is one of the few characters I actually liked and wanted to root for as the show went on. The thing is, though, is that I want to know why she's in a wheelchair. Was it related to the lost Christmas incident? Was she in an accident with one of her robots? Like, I need to know these things. I mentioned Maihime earlier. There's also a character in a wheelchair, the headmistress Mashiro. But she had mystique and intrigue behind her to the point where you don't really need to know why she's in a wheelchair. All you need to know is that she's the headmistress, she's mysterious... And for the first half of Maihime, she's honestly not all that important. She's just there to sit there, look cute, and say cryptic things to our heroes. But, you know, as much as I may not like the fact that they didn't do too much with Ayase, she's a better character than Sugumi. Yes. Why does Sugumi exist? To sell merch, bro. She is nothing... She's nothing but a pointless moe blob of a character. 
and she gets annoying real fast. Like, I'm all for fan service, but the bit where she closes an open window in her VR pod with her butt was just... You see, this is one of those instances I wish I watched it subbed, because her English voice is so... So grating to listen to. Mo- not a Monica Real fan, I take it? I am a Monica Real fan. Just not in this instance. <laughs> uh, well, she's I, I, well, she's so, annoying on both sides of the coin, I'll tell you that. Well, when's the last time you've seen a girl use her buttocks to, sh- to shut down a window, especially in that in that scenario there? I wouldn't mind it. An average fan would say, hmm. I wonder what else you could do with that as well, but hey, to say to say on that idea in there, so this ain't Kjo Aristotle. <laughs> I was gonna bring that point up. Too. So what? There's a, <laughs> what, 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 what? What else you? What else you got about that, Mister Nate? I mean, the the that that enemy is actually fun to watch too. You know, Kjo is a lot of fun because because it's in on the joke. It embraces its own craziness, whereas Guilty Crown can't decide what it wants to be or where it is supposed to go. I didn't even bother talking about Shu's classmates. I mean, I guess Yahiro is somebody, but it's just, I don't know. He's just sort of there. All of Shu's classmates are just there. They don't have any meaningful development or any story contributions. One has one of the most pointless deaths I've ever seen, but we'll get to that talking about Guilty Crown's second half. Honestly, the only character I would deem to be likable in this show is Guy. Guy? With the same likable convincibility to, to shoe as if he has the mentality of Leluch? Guy? Him? Well, yeah, uh, he's more Char Aznable than Lelouch, in my humble opinion. At the moment you see him, when he makes his debut, which one of my uh, Discord friends says, when you set him to Shadow's theme from Sonic the Hedgehog, you will never see him as anything more than being Shadow the Hedgehog. Oh no, I mean, if I really want to have a more extravagant theme with him, I would put him with a much more darker theme than Shadow the Hedgehog there, but hey, to each their own, but... I don't know. Guy, guy's a good character, but I, I, I don't know. I, I expect someone more sinister. That's just me. He he should be, at the end of this summer, he should have been a hell of a lot more than Char Asable with a bit of uh, Lieutenant Dozel Asable and Asable sinisterness. But again, you can't, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Guy works because he is such a force of personality. As soon as he comes in on the scene and you start seeing his interactions, you immediately get him. He's serious. He's hard-nosed, and he is willing to do anything it takes in order to achieve his end goal of overthrowing the GHC, even if it means sacrificing others to get what he wants. He's a very morally gray character, but you find yourself rooting for him. Well, it's not just that. It's also shown to us that he regrets some of his decisions. He actually has moments of weakness where he contemplates... His role as a leader, and if he's worthy enough. He's much more complex than any of our main characters. As I said, 
He should have been the lead character, not that glass of water known as Shu. Oh, 100%. I think the show would have been fantastic just as Guy is the main character. And I honestly felt like he should have just been the main character, but they had to throw in a generic, stereotypical, short, brown-haired high schooler because anime. And, yeah, Guy, he's the best and most likable character until he isn't. And it once mm. again happens in that second half. Uh, we're building it to it. We're getting there. Yeah, we're definitely getting there. I just want to say, it would have been nice. I mean, it, it would have been nice if we had Guy as the main theme in there and have this, and have Shu as Mr. Generic type of person who gets slapped around silly in all, all the episodes. And that would have been nice. Until he gets angry and fights Guy in the final battle and have that duel of the face type of scenario all over again, which I wouldn't have minded, but hey, anime is anime, no matter how you slice it. Shoo, to me, is more of a side character than a main character in a show mm -hmm. like this. Like, he's merely meant to be Guy's sidekick, his protege. A guy who only exists to be slapped around by Guy until Shu decides he's not going to take it anymore. And they do get into a fight together where Shu proves his worth. But again, that doesn't happen. I mean, I mean, look, look, look there's so many ways you could put out another perspective with Shu to be, to be the end, the end of be all. Guy gave him the overall look of things is just to live out there. If it wasn't for him, the Shu would have just been the total social anxiety being bull about with the press and pills and everything else come graduation time, but I guess someone had got, had to kick him in the head with, with a bunch of reality checks and make him the better person. It'd be total utter douchebag in the second half in there. If if anything, the writing would have just should have been better off and a lot more plot plot between both guy and shoe from then on and every, let everyone else suffer if that was the case. But again, it it is what it is in there, and it's just it's just basically two halves of the whole. Put together one way or another to make the second half turn from twelve from episode twelve to twenty two, but that that's guilty ground in a nutshell for you. And to also one little point I want to talk about with Guy is funeral parlor the dumbest name for a resistance group ever. Oh, I've heard We're worse. Edgy. Well, no, it's just when a group calls themselves funeral parlor. The first thing I think of is, oh, your funeral parlor, huh? Well, uh, yeah, um, this is gonna be difficult, but, uh, my, uh, girlfriend, she, uh, died a few days ago. I was wondering if, uh, you could arrange something for me in the coming weeks. Put in a nice diamond casket and have diamond dollars page as a sermon, and you add and you, and you add some disco balls inside in there with some anime themed uh, um, graveyard music from Death Note to 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 summon all love for her as a nice special dedication. But having funeral parlor as as, as a dumb name like that, no. But I like I said, I've heard of her a lot a lot of worse names in there. I mean, I mean, it could it could have been more catchier if if if, if anything like that. But what are, I mean, where's the originality past being a dark theme type of something you haven't heard before? I wrote down ten anime ah. groups that I think had better names than Funeral Parlor, <clears throat> Lagoon Company, Gote Thirteen, The Black Knights, Mafti Navu Edding, The Experts of Justice, The SOS Brigade. The Helsing Organization, Mithril, Direct Attack, and the Gutsy Geoid Guard. Good old Gutsy Geoid Guard. Wow. That brought back memories. 
Yeah, they, they just could have went with anything else but Funeral Parlor. And I, I honestly don't think the name even ties into anything. I think they just named it just to name it that. Speaking of generic things, the villains, there's nothing to say about them. They're boring. That's the other, that's the other thing that I wanted, I wanted to touch upon. The, the villains of that, that one in there just didn't quite get to me. I really wanted someone more threatening. I really want some things to be more... To be more convincing to me, I felt like the while the feisties were great, I felt like having them being beat was all too easy, and I really I could have wanted to expect a little bit more challenge up up in the up in the villainy roster. But again, this is all this is all catching the right and the in the pressures that be. But for the power of the beat to create new villains or the high level of tension and endurance and pure villainy aspect to be something. Better than the the Joker and Clayface and Two Face altogether, be my guess. Lay it on the table. I think there's only one villain I liked, and it was I, I can't even remember his name. What was it? Um, Mr. Scrooge. Uh, was the that... guy with the purple hair with Walt. the Walt. I, yeah, he was just he was just having the time and living his best life, and you know what? I enjoyed him for that. He at least has a modicum of a personality. He is not the main villain for some reason. But I sure would have loved if he was. Oh, I love a villain who can ham it up instead. Our villain is this boring, evil Master Asia, which is what I called him. Because Kato looks just like Master Asia minus the ponytail. Yeah, I wasn't really, I, I really was convinced with that one as well. I, if, if it were me and if I had Walsaby. The, the the meta man in there, forget it. He would have struck all the villainy plus straight up the ballpark. As I said, he's just nothing. Absolutely nothing. Kato should have been a secondary villain. Waltz should have been front and center. And then there's Daryl. Oh boy, Daryl. Char well. with Tourette's Syndrome. Oh goodness gracious! The only thing I'm going to say about Daryl is that it, he, if if he had half of the tourists and more a Char or, or at least Lieutenant Zobel with the temper, then it would have liked him just a little bit more. But he's just so unlikable. I mean, his name's Daryl. When I think of great names for rival pilots from other mecha anime, I just mentioned Char Aznable, but you also have the likes of Haman Karn. Ypsilon, Garin from Fullmetal Panic, Suzaku Kururugi, Daryl. <laughs> Daryl doesn't pilot a robot. Daryl tows your car when it breaks down, or refills your prescription at a Walgreens, or hosts a podcast where he complains about anime for a living. Oh, by the way, uh, forgot to mention this. Daryl's nickname, in the dub anyway, is Kill 'em All Daryl. <laughs> Oh goodness! Just to remind you that he is inspired by one of Yoshiyuki Tomino's most famous characters and his nickname. And the album name of Metallica, no less. But for crying out loud! Oh no, Kill 'Em All. Tomino had the nickname of Kill 'Em All Tomino well before Metallica put out that album. <sighs> oh my goodness! I can't believe I can't believe a nickname would come like that. I've also read somewhere also that his nickname in the Japanese can be translated as Daryl the Butcher, which is another Tamino reference to his show Zambot 3, where the villain's name is Killer the Butcher, 
Either way, this show does very little to hide the fact that he is a Tamino reference. All I could say about Daryl is he has the personality of your generic Zoomer, and I just want to punch him in the face. Oh god, he is so punchable. Again, and, he has and again, a, and again. And he yep. has a subplot that doesn't go anywhere. He doesn't even get a resolution. It's just, you're on your own now, kid, at the end of the show, and then that's the last we see of Daryl. And there's uh, no punches to Daryl again and again. That just, uh, and that's oh, another man. problem I have with Guilty Crown. There are so many subplots that don't go anywhere. There's so many subplots in there that, that don't make any sense either. But again, I hope a lot more in the second half of the year is as far as the first one. It's a, it's a tale of two halves. While a, a Masterpiece is greatly exaggerated in this one, sure, it has its own problems, just like almost every other anime we've seen in there, but... This is this is where we come. This is what we come to expect in, with this type of production. I mean, I don't expect this in any sort of production. Period. Keep your show consistent, at the very least. It really does feel like Yoshino and Okuchi were just going through the motions on this one. Like they wanted to do some ideas, but they were under so many mandates from the director and producers that they just went, "Fuck it, let's just give them what they want." You know, it would have been nice if they had a little bit, a couple more dowels in there, so we would just hate this, hate the anime just a little bit more, so at the end of that, they could just get hurt permanently in there. But, like, like I said, a lot of productions, when it comes to the end game of this one, they just drop the ball too many times and choke the game instead of hitting that, hitting that winning hit for a home run or hitting that final three-pointer to win the game or headed to overtime to do something different. And it's, this isn't the first anime that has done that. And even despite all of this, if you check the Razor, it's still a top fifteen anime for a lot for a lot of fans in there. And I'll get I'm, to that. I'll get to that later. True, but yeah, at the end of the day, ratings don't really mean much when people are going to say Dragon Ball Z is their favorite anime of all time. Series ranking is it indicative of its quality? I mean, Code Geass is one of the highest rated anime on my anime list, and I think it's just simply okay. Yeah, I agree. It is. It is just your own playing average there. And sure, a lot of people will say that it's not. It's not the same to his or her aesthetics or the or the t- or the taste and all that. And like I said, it's just it's to it's to each, each his own. Some people will think that oh, that is just a higher, higher than those of that. I'm not saying this is the, is this is the full French, um the full Leonardo da Vinci or that people should pay attention and learn about. I'm just saying I'm just saying that this is this despite the mistakes, despite the fallbacks, the subplots, the the hindering of character developments, the bad plot twists, the bad the bad ending and, and all that. It's still entertaining for one look see. Nothing more, nothing less. I mean, I think there's legitimate good in the show, but again, most of that comes with the first half of the story when we start actually talking about the story. And I would like to say that the first half of Guilty Crown, I will play good cop there. I think it's fine. That does come, though, with a lot of qualifiers, because, you know, the characters are still unlikable, and there are a few scenes in there that make me groan, but, you know, from a storytelling perspective, it's fine, but I get the feeling that Yoshino and Okuchi wanted to end that show out of episode 11 and then be done with it. But the higher-up said, no, 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 you've got 11 more episodes to write. And by that point, they just didn't give a shit. 
that's basically in a nutshell right there and then once their ideas come off on the first half from there the second half in there i felt i felt that the like i said it's, it, would be so, it would be something off being consistent with this with these type of two seasons of animes is never 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 easy i mean there are animes right now that i'm seeing they're up to season four such as social cyber orphan is it okay to pick girl is it okay to pick up girls in a dungeon with the season four part two even the bigger episodes of Attack on Titan. Attack on Titan season four was 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 crazy. Believe it or not, I'm Num- sure it was season four. It's season four part one, season four part two, season four the finale, and then season four the finale part two. Yeah, and not to me- not to mention the 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 movie the movie to finish all the movies on top of that. Uh, I don't count compilation films. But yeah, the first half of Guilty Crown, although I will say the big climax of episode 11, where Inori sings her big song, which is the same song that she sings throughout the show, really makes me wish that I was watching Macross Do You Remember Love? And unlike Macross Do You Remember Love, it doesn't lead to anything. It's just, she stops the fourth apocalypse from happening and then she gets kidnapped. This is what I mean when I say things happen to the characters rather than the characters making things happen. But before we get to that inevitable second half, I do want to go on a quick side note and say that episodes 4, 5, and 6 were very good. Particularly in episode 4 with that whole action sequence involving the Zero Gear Void. That was Guilty Crown working at its best. Yeah. I totally agree. Episode four with a phenomenal um gra- graphics display and how shoes safety Nora right out as they as they were coming down and they using the actual using actual the voice kill for that one was absolutely was probably probably the best within that series as far. Five and six were also fantastic as well. And that's the thing, it showed that hey, there's a lot of creativity to be had with this concept. I'd even say right off episode one was of it was a very strong first episode with a pretty good episode two to follow up. There's a lot of good to this series, and I could see why people would really like it based off the first half alone. But I can't say the same for the second half. And I think that's a good time to talk about the second half. We had a few minor spoilers, but now. Let's delve in to the second half of Guilty Crown. Oh, God. Spoiler alert. Alright, I'm not gonna beat around the bush. Shu turns evil in the most forced, unnecessary way I have ever seen in an anime. Mm Mm-hmm. There's a girl whose void power is healing people. Was her name, like, Rekka or something? Yeah. Yeah, her. I'm thinking Rekka because of Hi-Fi Rush, which I'm uh, probably going to play after I finish this recording. But her void allows her to heal people and to heal things that are broken. Crashed cars, a blown-up bridge, etc. It's a useful void to have. Mm-hmm. She and Shu get caught up in an explosion and both end up fatally wounded. She uses what is left of her strength to heal Shu. And as I watch this, I go, 
Why don't you just heal yourself first and then heal Shu? Priority exactly! people! Exactly! She had so much time to heal herself! But Go she to just a safe area and heal yourself! It's not hard! But no! Instead, and, and here's the thing, they foreshadow this in a very not clever way when Yahiro, who basically is there to make Shu's life miserable. By the way, let me just go on a side chant about Yahiro. Yahiro has a subplot where he finds out that his brother was affected with the Apocalypse Syndrome, and it's this, supposed to be this big emotional moment when that plot is resolved, and again, it leads to nothing. It's only brought up once again in the show. And you'd think that it would be a point of no return with what happens between Yahiro, Shu, and his brother, but no, it's just, his brother's dead, and they don't talk to each other for a bit, but then, all of a sudden, Yahiro goes, I forgive you, and they're all better. I, well, no, he goes, I forgive you. Oh, well, I'm going to betray you. Oh, this is how you should act as a leader. Oh, how can you act that? Oh, he's and such that, an inconsistent and waste of to, a character. And to tie back to Shu, like, he says, like, Shu, we need to rank people by their voids. And, like, Shu says, but that's racism. And he says, no, I don't care. This is how you need to act as our supplies are dwindling. And Shu goes, but I don't want to be a bad guy. And then after Rekka dies, he says, okay, change my mind. I want to be a bad guy now. And then the freaking guy does a complete swap. It's like, how can you rank people on their voice? I'm like, how do you just... You told him to do that! This is the most forced turn to evil I have ever seen in anime since the Pharaoh played the seal of Ori Kalkos in that one episode of Yu-Gi-Oh! <laughs> yeah, that one was just crazy. And I hate to say it, I would agree... I, I would agree with everything you guys just said around the second half and that. It's just... It just it just blew my mind as to how the decision was made for Shu to be put like that. It should have been it should have been a hell of a lot more effective way for him to be influenced with that. I just thought that out the second half in there, they should have thought it was something better to make Shu a bad guy like that. Or you know, you could not have Shu turn evil. Does that ever occur to you guys? Well, I don't know. I mean, if he does turn evil, it would have been it would have been him versus everyone else turning evil, which would have been, still would have been nice. Well, the thing is, he t they just tried to turn him into Guy, but just failed! It just did He's like, I have to be more like Guy, and I'm like, but Guy isn't inherently evil! He has a gray morality, but you always know where he stands. Guy feels bad for his actions sometimes. He has regrets over sacrificing other people. Shu turns into freaking Benito Mussolini! <laughs> yeah. And it makes everyone salute the same way like everyone else, which kind of wasn't the the idea we were all expecting the first time in there. But crying out loud, shoot! Oh, just I I just can't even. And again, just having shoot just all right. That's bad enough. But the random asshole villain teleport behind you, nothing personnel, Cade. I took your girl. I'm just like what. Where did you come from? Why do you exist? How do you have this power? He's introduced in one scene in a cutaway, and we don't know who he is or where he came from. It's just, up. Oh, here's a new character now. I don't know why they evolved the idea to begin with in there. I thought if within that point when one guy teleport to at least fatally hurt Shu once more to put him into, well, at least put him in his place, to at least at least let us know that there's, there's, so, there's someone here that wants to inflict more injuries to that group 
anyone else. But again, that's just me. I, I felt. I mean, sure, everything you guys said it was was cringeworthy and it just didn't, didn't make any sense. It would have been nice to have a good change with it, but that's how they produce it. And you're right. That's how it is. But that doesn't mean I have to like it, and that doesn't make it good. But that's not even the worst thing that happens in the second half. Far from it. We mentioned how Guy was the only likable character in the show. Well, if you thought Shu turning evil was bad, well, in the second half, Guy came back somehow. And he's evil now. Why? <laughs> Unceremoniously killed? Not referenced again to some random quick clip? like episodes down the line to where i'm like they're not gonna do this right they're not about to bring him back and tell me nothing about this right oh they did they certainly did and it is the worst moment in the show in a series of bad decisions what seem to be editorial mandates and just ugh, absolutely awful awful decision and furthermore, why Guy of all people? Why, to make Shu look like the good guy by comparison? To make Shu the lesser of two evils? Fuck that! You take that and just then you mix in the whole inconsistency of how voids work. Oh yeah, because... Jordan, you, Jordan, <laughs> I'll give you the floor for that one. You, you talked about this, go ahead. So, please explain to me, right? So it's established very early on when you reach into someone's heart and use their void as a weapon, they go unconscious. Cool concept. I get it. Even to the point where they said voids, like if you break the uh, void itself, the person, you could die. I could buy that. Please fucking explain to me how just randomly characters could have their voids pulled out. They're on, they're, they remain conscious. They remember what happened. They could use their own voids. Guy could magically just combine voids into a super... How, where is any of this explained? Well, the best part about that is that it's explained in a throwaway line. They just say, oh, our voids are mutating now. And that's it! It's, it's literally, it's like, oh, bro, my, my void is mutating! To what extent? To, to explain! Please! Yeah, please. that was not, Yeah, I agree. That was not explained very, very nicely. I just want to know how it, was, how it was mutating there and how to have a much better power or combine all to do it. That right there, I just couldn't put my finger on to it. And then throw on top of that, the voids used to be creative. Like I said, episode four, use the anti-gravity void to shift the gravity lower. Cool, awesome use. Now it's just the voids act as an ass pull to move the plot forward. I can't, man. I just, oh God, when a story just decides to forsake all its established rules just because. Ah. <sighs> It's just frustrating, and I think we're all on the same page that the second half of Guilty Crown should not exist. Yeah, I, I seriously thought it would have been fine with episodes 1 to 12, at least to that extent. You mean 1 to 11? Yeah, but as of Japan, just to make a full season is 1 to 12, but 1 to 11 should be fine. Yeah, oh, they should have just let it die and just be average. Than whatever the fuck this mess became. If you end it off of episode 11, it is a fun but ultimately forgettable thing. The second half. Guilty Crown to me is 
average at its best, dull and uninteresting at its worst, absolutely unforgivable at its absolute worst. And the second half, it only goes downhill from there, and it just hits the bottom in stunning fashion. Uh, yep. Yep. As for the ending, what do we have to say about that? Because I'm going to say this. As much as I may hate the second half of the show, I will say the emotional climax between Shu and Inori, if this was any other show, I would have teared up at this. I really thought it was absolutely absolutely rushed. I don't mind if it's rushed. My problem is that I can't ignore all the other bullshit that happens before what would be a heartbreaking moment. It's like your lie in April. I mean, yeah, it has an emotional climax, but I can't forget all the jarring tonal shifts that made me not care about either character. And oh, your lie in April will have its day on this show. And, and that's just the thing. It was this huge climatic just emotional moment that wasn't earned i just got to this point and i'm overlooking at my switch like man i'd rather be playing metroid prime at this moment than watching this garbage i just finished watching the first season of symphogear and for what is the first season that climax hits you like a ton of bricks and that's only the first season of symphogear from what i am told it only goes up from there in terms of hitting you in the feels <sighs> see, 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 a lot, see, a lot of people are are saying, are saying so, so, so many convoluted things about this ending, and especially how Inori gave him the guilty crowns. Inori gave him the guilty crowns so he can live on and not just have to be a lonely king. I mean, you remember that the red strings he gave to him it basically represents the soul of a person, right? So unless you cut the strings, the person dies without harming the body. But what she wanted to do is Inori merged with Shu. So as the last episode, when Shu went blind due to Inori's affection, and I felt that, sure, it was it was emotional enough, but all this stuff that we've been hearing thus far in there, I felt that it, it, it just wasn't necessary. If it were me writing this show, I'd say both of them would die. Both of them would, both of them would die for the, for the full sake of having the, having the world saved and letting everyone else just go to, go to another future and survive by themselves. I did not care one angstrom that Shu merged with Inori at the end. I didn't even notice it. That's how little I cared about these two characters. Yeah, it, it was the definition of zero fucks giving. I was just watching this like, look, I don't understand how people teared up at the show. I don't get why they emotionally resonate with this show. Like, if it's your first anime and you've literally watched nothing else, sure, I could give it to you. But if you've literally watched any other show... Of merit, this this was just stupid. It's forced is what it is. Every single decision made in the second half of Guilty Crown just feels so forced. As if it was made out of obligation rather than inspiration. Shoe turning evil, guy coming back somehow, Shoe somehow managing to merge everybody's voids at once, the final battle where Shoe survives somehow... Uh, it just, it's designed to want to make you feel, but it can't make you feel because you don't care. 
right? Or just the random betrayals that everyone starts doing in a three-episode span, but somehow come all together to be friends like none of it ever happened. That alone just kind of threw me off when I never expected that to happen. It is, it should, it shouldn't happen. It shouldn't happen like that anyway. But again, it was. I didn't even tear up when I saw the one there. I just looked at it as a normal face. And I'm saying, if this is the way how it's going to end it. Either I'd rather just watch it once, but seeing it again made me wise to some other new things in it. And like I said, it's just, you're right. It is a, it is a fourth action for all of this. And it goes all the way back to production, but like normal people say, they don't care about what what, what the production is. They just want a, they just want a good result. If it had a little bit more time, it would have been a lot more improved. But this is what suck you are. Take it with a grain of salt, whatever you want in there, but. I, for, for me, I wish it would just all die, almost like a AOE, and just already struggle with four by fours and make something explode or do something different with the voice, just to be more improved in that. But I don't know. This this ending was just it just didn't quite get it to me. I just want everyone to just drop the a bomb to each other and just fall fall on destruction, and have it recreated all over again. And let the voice do something different. At least let's just have some better creative ending so at least we understand that all this was just made for the survival of humanity one way or another, but... I was say, literally, this was just the only show where I said, I wish all these characters just dropped dead at this point. Give me a Tamino ending for these characters where they all die in the craziest way possible. It's a happy ending that the show doesn't deserve. You wish everyone was dead dead by the end of this oh absolutely the whole aoe everybody gets destroyed the whole planet gets blown out in there or something will be will be a lot more satisfactory than this one but that, that's they ended exactly how it is with a super little birthday and i just summed it up like this using an old hacky fanfic <clears throat> After the world was nice, and Hummins had new city, and happy because the apocalypse was gone, and nobody was slave or sad. President Shu Oma and people and animals and earth had peace, and in middle of new city was a statue that said, Inori Yuzuriha, Saver of Hummins. <laughs> the end! Da the end! end. And I think that brings us to the end of Guilty Crown. <sighs> this show sucks. God, I just wanted to like this show. I really did. I tried so hard, but after just that undefensible second half, I just... I, I just have to give it the good old fuck you rating. Like, I just... No. I can't recommend anyone watch this. I wouldn't even say the first half is good. I would rather just say that it's passable, but it's. I wouldn't say that it's good. It's fine. Yeah, maybe acceptable to some people. Maybe fine to you guys in there. Maybe over exaggerating. Like I said, being a masterpiece was a bit was a bit way too much. But again, some people like me. Some people like me like it for for some for some age and reasons in there. If I were to tell you guys how many enemies were even lower than this one, you would you, you guys wouldn't care. But the bottom line is, is that it could be ranked 15 to 25 somewhere in the rankings, and everybody would have their own rankings nonetheless. But again, it, it ain't the statue like Code Geass. It ain't the Justice just like Gurren Lagan. It ain't the uh, legendary home piece like Eureka Seven. And, and it's it's just one of those this is one of those sci-fi enemies that are hit and missable, which is more missable than most of them there. 
But no matter, but no matter what the masses say in here, first half is just is, is acceptable. While the second half can 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 go to reaching hell of flames and it still be just as average as is. And that's and that's the reason why. Uh, one of these days, I'll go back and, and, and watch it again. No matter no matter who says what. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm pretty much done with the show. I I watched it again, and I there, there's just nothing more I can say about it. It's just there, you could do better. There's literally better anime out there for anyone to watch. Just just go watch Code Geass. That's all I'll tell people. Go watch Votoms, the better Code Geass. Or you know that too. Yeah, Votom was great. Can I ask you this though? What's worse? Guilty Crown, Darling in the Franks, or Ald Noah Zero? I'd rather watch Queen's Blade than any of the options <laughs> you just gave me. Oh, hell yeah. I rather, yeah. You know, at least, at least I'll get something from Queen's Blade. I mean, if you really if you really want to cut the mustard between those three, Nate, I would have to say out of the lows of the low, Darling in the Franks. Hands down. The lows of the low. At least El Noah Zero is passable to some extent in there. They had a decent ending on his own. And I really like the storyline to, to a certain extent. But Darling of Franks? Uh-uh. I'm sorry. Get that away from me. Get that completely away from me. Because the, the, the storyline didn't go anywhere to what I expected. Anywhere. Like, you thought those episodes, several episodes, were just, sh- were just shit and bones for for Guilty Crown? This one, Darling in the Franks will make you think even worse of that. For crying out loud. Goodness gracious. So many people tell me, oh, why am I watching the second um, EOE Evangelion instrumentality? But I tell them it's not an instrumentality project in there. It's not done like that in there. And I still make myself suffer just to watch the entire thing as is in there. And I, I, I almost doused myself with a full gallon of, of Irish whiskey after that one. Seriously. Almost like my liver suffered on that one, but no. No. Darling the Franks, no. Please. Stop. Stop right now. Stop. You know, I can get something out of Queen's Blade. It's not a good show, but the characters are intriguing, and it's got nice world building. It's just too bad that it's drowning in pointless fan service that goes against everything tasteful. Mm-hmm. But you gotta love the action scenes of that one, though. Hey, man, you know it's bad when I say I'd rather watch Queen's Blade. Nate knows my hate of that show. Honestly, I don't hate Queen's Blade as much as you do. I'm willing to play good cop on that one. Oh, boy. Look, I've seen the entire series of Queen's Blade, and I've seen the OVA over there. Like I said, I have my own share. I have my own share out of that one there. Watching women battle out and duke out with the swords and everything and get jiggly on it it's such a satisfying cup of tea but everything else you guys can go 12 rounds of it and on that note i guess i should give my final thoughts i originally had a long form post that i put on social media about how i said guilty crown is a show that wants to be the next big thing and yes guilty crown desperately wants to be the next big thing the next Code Geass, the next Macross, the next Gundam. And it was for a hot minute. And it is still fondly remembered by people who saw it as their first anime. But the thing is, as the passage's time has gone on, and people see more and more anime, all of its faults become apparent. The nonsensical storytelling, the unlikable cast of characters, the sheer amount of bloat present in the show, 
this was not a show that was made by somebody who had an idea. This is a show that was made by producers that wanted another Code Geass when the cash cow of Code Geass had all but run dry. This is a show that is like a modern art piece. It's beautiful to some, but the more you look at it, the more of its faults become apparent. It's not the worst thing I've seen. It at least looks nice, and Hiroyuki Sawano's vocal tracks are as good as ever, and there are a few good moments in the show. But aside from that, there's nothing to Guilty Crown. It is an utterly forgettable trash fire of a show. It may not be the worst anime of the decade, but it's one where its hype ultimately <coughs> killed it in the end. I would say, avoid at all costs. And with that, I think we're done here. If you enjoyed us rambling for the past hour and some, please give us a like, subscribe to us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere you get your podcasts from. And you can follow me on social media at OtakuNateShow on Twitter and OtakuNateShow on Facebook. And you can follow me on Instagram at NateTendoWee, where I am currently posting my escapades with the New Jersey Titans as I am now their new PA announcer. My first major voice acting gig. And I hope that it leads to many more after that. Before before we cut it, I would just like to say congratulations on your gig, and I hope you go far. Thank you. Huh. And so, with all of this ranting and rambling that we've done about Guilty Crown and whatnot, I think we need to wash the taste of one of the worst anime of the 2010s out of our mouths with one of the better anime of the 2010s, as we put on our thinking caps and go on a journey to a far-off island following a detective embroiled in a conspiracy as we look at Studio Madhouse's 2018 Diamond in the Rough, Aka 13 Territory Investigations Department, or as it is simply known, Aka 13. And I am prepping myself by reading a few books from the author Natsume Ono for this. So until then, this is Otaku Nate. This is Mr. Arasato. And this is Jordan. And we're signing off and saying, it's been done. Yeah.